I am Liz Howes, Director of Parish Programs at Christ Episcopal Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Thank you for joining us for our Pit Stop for Parents podcast. We hope each of these episodes provides a small space for parents to reflect, refresh, and refuel in their parenting journey. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Douglas Andrew. I'm a mental health therapist here in Raleigh. I work primarily with men and teenage boys on things like depression, anxiety and stress, relationship challenges, and spirituality. Before I start talking today, I want to give a quick shout out to Phil Anderson. Phil is a spiritual director and speaker in Greensboro who has had a profound impact on my life. Most of the ideas I'm going to talk about today are stolen from him, so hopefully he doesn't mind. And today I want to talk about a question. It's a simple question on the surface, yet the answer to it profoundly impacts how we experience life. And the question is this, who am I? Who am I? When I ask that question, what immediately comes to your mind? That's an important thing to pay attention to. It may may tell you a lot about what's going on inside of you. See, who am I is really a question of identity. What is my identity? How do I identify my place in the world? How do I conceptualize myself as an individual within a complex world? Put simply, how do I think of myself? Now, there are three common ways that most of us answer this question, who am I? The first is that I am what I have. So when I think of who am I, I think about that I have this house where I have these cars, I have these memberships, I have this amount of money, I have these friends, I have this job, I have these clothes. What I have, what I possess, is the lens through which I see myself. I determine my identity, my place in the world, my worth by analyzing what I have. Now, the second way that many of us answer this question of who am I is that I am what I do. So what I accomplish, what I achieve, how I perform, that becomes the way that I define myself. So I look at what I'm able to do in my job or in my volunteer roles or in my work at home, and I use that as the lens to view myself. My worth is based on my performance. The third way we often answer this question of who am I is that I am who other people say that I am. In other words, I am my reputation. I define myself based on what other people think of me. I make judgments about what other people's judgments of me are, and that becomes the way that I judge myself. That makes sense. Now, commonly, we will define ourselves in some blend of these three ways. So I'm not all one or the other, it's usually a mix. I do find though that one of these lenses tends to dominate. One tends to be the primary lens that we use to view ourselves while the others are secondary. And just one additional point to add here for parents, sometimes we as parents define ourselves through our children. So who I am becomes who my children are. I base my opinions of myself on my opinions of my children. As I'm doing that, though, 
I'm typically making judgments about my children through one of the three previously mentioned categories. So I am determining how my children are doing through some combination of what they have, what they are accomplishing, and what other people think about them. So even though there is the additional layer of my children between the lens and me, the lens is still the same. So even though my children are thrown in there, my identity still ends up being rooted in have, do, or reputation. Now, regardless of kind of which of those is your primary orientation, um, it's important to note that all of these are conditional. So what do I mean by that? If who I am is determined by what I have or by what I do or by what other people think of me, then who I am is conditional. What I have what I do and what other people think of me will forever be changing. So if I define myself by something that is constantly changing, then my view of myself is also constantly changing. And this creates a troubling dynamic. See, it is difficult to be grounded and at peace with myself and comfortable in my own skin, content with who I am, if who I am is constantly changing, my sense of worth becomes conditional. When I have, when I achieve, when people like me, I feel worthy. If I don't have, if I don't achieve, and if people don't like me, then I'm not worthy. Now, I'm not saying that these things do not matter. How you perform matters. What we do matters both in terms of what it can bring to the world and how it can make us feel in terms of a sense of accomplishment and contribution. Also, what you have matters. We all have basic needs to meet, and some things we own can bring appropriate pleasure and enjoyment to our lives. And also, what other people think about us matters. We all want people to like us. It helps foster connection and relationship, and those things are foundational to how we live in this world. So it's not that these things do not matter. The trouble comes when we try to derive our sense of worth from these things. The trouble comes when we define who we are by what we have, what we do, or by what other people think of us. And that then begs the question, is there a different way to do it? Can I find my sense of worth from some other place? So I want to talk for a minute about the idea of inherent self-worth. Inherent self-worth is exactly what it sounds like. It is the idea that my worth as a person is inherent. My worth is the same when I'm a newborn as it is when I'm 16 as it is when I'm 40 and married with kids and leading a successful career, as it is when I retire, as it is when I'm on my deathbed. If my worth truly is inherent, then it never changes, regardless of what I have, regardless of what I do, and regardless of what other people think of me. And I think this concept of inherent self-worth is consistent 
with the notion of a loving God who loves all of his creation. See, I don't think God's love for me changes in the same way that my love for my children does not change. I mean, my children may frustrate me. I may not always like what they do, but my love for them does not fluctuate with their behavior. My love for them forever remains in the same way that God's love for, for me forever remains. So kind of through that perspective, I am not what I do. I am not what I have. I am not my reputation. What I am is a loved child of God. And as such, I have worth and I will forever have worth. Now, if I can begin to embrace this idea of inherent self-worth, I can start to love myself better. I become kinder to myself. I become more grounded, steadier, more content, more consistent, more present, more at peace. My well-being becomes less attached to the swirling circumstances around me. Now, all my problems don't go away but I can begin to face my problems with a more loving approach to myself and to others. And on that note of others, if I begin to accept inherent self-worth in myself, I begin to accept it about other people as well. If I start to recognize that I cannot earn my self-worth and neither can others, then it becomes harder for me to see myself as better than or less than others. It becomes easier for me to love others and easier for me to love myself. Okay, so great, good information, interesting, but what do you do with this? Are there tangible ways to actually move closer to embracing inherent self-worth? Well, the short answer is yes, there are. Um, it, it, I view it as a concept that you can practice. So it's not just something to know intellectually, but it's actually sort of something that you can actually carry out in your life. You can actually practice it. There are things that you can do consistently over time to move more fully into this. So with that in mind, here are some ideas of maybe how you can begin to more fully embrace inherent self-worth. The first is this, seek insight. Seek insight. So do a little exploration and consider if you might be leaning heavily into what you have, what you do, or your reputation for your sense of worth. Maybe consider especially times when you've been really upset and, and just ask yourself, was any of that related to your worth feeling threatened? Something to reflect on. And, and as you're thinking about this, you could you know, do some reflection on your own, thinking, writing, praying. It could also be helpful to talk to people who know you well and ask them for insight about, about you. What are they, how do they see this in you? Okay, so number two, second thing you can do to move towards embracing kind of inherent self-worth. Number two, sit quietly with God consistently. So in the stillness, in the quiet, this is where like perhaps you can most powerfully feel and experience the love of God for you personally. It's where you can allow yourself to be loved. As you feel that love from God, it becomes easier to accept your worth. So sit quietly with God consistently. Okay, number three, consistently connect with people who make you feel loved. 
and love for who you are, not for what you have or what you do. Keep seeking those connections in whatever way you can. Obviously, it's been harder than ever to do that recently, but it's essential. And it's the same as, as with embracing the love of God. As you begin to experience and feel the love of others, that genuine love, it becomes easier to embrace your own inherent worth. All right, number four, take care of yourself. Treat yourself with love. Sleep, move your body, eat real food, play, laugh. As you begin to take care of yourself, a funny thing happens. Obviously, you get physically healthier, but you also begin to accept that you are, in fact, worthy of care. So you sort of act yourself into right thinking, right? As opposed to thinking yourself into right acting. You actually begin to treat yourself like you're worthy of care. All right, number five. Number five, fifth, fifth thing here you can do to move more fully into embracing inherent self-worth. Talk kindly to yourself. Right? We all talk to ourselves. We all have thoughts in our head about ourselves. Talk kindly to yourself. Take a look at some of the thoughts in your head. What are some of the things you say to yourself? Are they kind? Are they grounded in reality? Do you speak to yourself like you would a friend? For example, if you buy something at work, your thought could be, I'm a failure. I'll never get promoted. Or different approach, your thought could be, you know what, I messed that up. Wish I hadn't. Let's learn from that and get better. One of those is kind to yourself, but the other is not. Another example, right? If someone expresses disappointment in you or criticizes you, you could say to yourself, oh my God, this person hates me. I must be terrible. Or you could be kind to yourself and you could say, I've upset this person. I didn't mean to. Let me listen to them so I can improve this relationship. So if you talk to yourself like you have worth, you will likely feel like you have worth. If you talk to yourself like you're worthless, you will likely feel that way. Now, there is a quick flip side to that. Your self-talk can also be ego inflating. It can also make you feel that you're better than others. So like, for example, if I accomplish something meaningful at work, I can say to myself, I'm the man. I killed that. I'm awesome. Right? And that inflates my ego and elevates me above others. Or I could say to myself something like, I worked really hard for that. It feels good to experience this success. I'm thankful. Right? Different perspective there. And the point here is to practice speaking to yourself as though you have inherent worth. You will not ever lose your self-worth and you didn't do anything to earn it, right? And so you can begin to talk to yourself that way. Now, the final point here, the last thing, number six of things you can do to move towards this idea of inherent self-worth, number six is serve others. Now that could take the form of engaging in like local community service, but it also could be as simple as just actively seeking to serve within your current day to day. You may not need to go find more to do. In fact, most of us don't need to find more to do. You can just bring a servant mindset to the places where you already are, your work, your home, your church. But what does that have to do with inherent self-worth? Well, so this wild thing happens as you begin to serve. Somehow you begin to truly understand the value, the dignity the worth 
of those who you are serving. Now, I'm not sure how that happens or why that happens. Honestly, I don't really understand that mechanism, but it happens time and again. As I serve, my heart opens to the people around me. And as it does, my heart opens to myself as well. It's kind of the reverse order of what I said before. As I recognize the inherent worth in the other, it becomes easier for me to recognize it in myself. Okay, friends, I'll stop there for now. Thank you for listening. I hope this was helpful.